0: We're big advocates of things like scaling up and so forth. If, you, if you've seen that and kind of strategy for a business and one of the big uh, you know, tenants there is having enough cash to deal with the unknown. Maybe it's an opportunity or maybe it's an issue that comes up.
1: Welcome to the MBBI Trends and M&A Podcast. I'm Greg Finn with Whipley Corporate Finance Advisors, your host for today's broadcast. Today's guest is Steve Peterson, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Bel Air Growth Partners. Steve is also a current MBBI Wisconsin Chapter sponsor. Welcome, Steve. Please introduce, introduce yourself and the firm.
0: Thanks, Greg, it's good to be here today. Uh, again, Steve Peterson with Air Growth Partners. I can uh, tell you a little bit about our firm if uh, you want me to go that direction. Uh, Definitely, let's do that. You bet. So, Air Growth Partners is a private equity investment firm focused on the lower middle market, and we define that as companies with less than $5 million of EBITDA. Um, we focus on ownership transitions of entrepreneurial stage companies, typically. Uh, we're based out of Milwaukee. We do have a West Coast presence as well. Uh, we're structured as an independent sponsor, which you know is a little bit different than the fund world we came from. Um, we uh, like the merits of the independent sponsor world, and so we intentionally structured that way. We think it's got a lot more flexibility and so forth. So the firm really, uh, we started in 2018. Uh, it was started by myself and my uh, younger partner, Steve Lozniak. Um, and it really builds on the roughly decade or so that we had worked together at our previous firm uh, prior to starting this. Um, we, uh, we're growing a bit. Uh, we expect to add our third individual this next year. Uh, his name is not Steve, but we think we have to have him change his name just to make it easy <laughs> for everybody. So... Uh, we've been fortunate enough to complete two deals in our uh, tenure so far, both uh, Wisconsin-based businesses, as it happens, um, not intentionally, but just kind of worked out that way. One of them's the largest provider of reserve studies to community associations in the country. If you've read about the tragic Surfside stuff, you maybe have heard mm-hmm. the term uh, uh, reserve studies and community associations and so forth, so you know, that business is getting a lot of uh, traction these days as a result of that, uh, fortunate or unfortunately. Uh, we also have a, a deal that is a manufacturer of thermal spray equipment located up in the Fox Valley in Wisconsin. Uh, again, an entrepreneurial stage deal. Um, and we did a recapitalization with the founders there. So we continue to look for new deals and tomorrow's a new day.
1: Terrific. Well, hey, thank you for joining us today. Uh, before we get into kind of the topics and some of your general market observations over the last twelve months. What
0: led you into a career of private equity? <laughs> so I feel a little like uh, a grandfather in the industry now. It's funny. One day you're uh, the young guy that's able to do everything, and then the next day you're it's X years later, and uh, everyone else is younger than you. So I started back, and I got uh, I became aware of private equity back when I worked at. Uh, An investment bank in Minneapolis, Piper, uh, now called Piper Sandler. Uh, And I became aware of what they called private equity people in those days. Uh, Almost nobody had heard of the term, though, but I thought it was a really interesting uh, world to be part of where you were. you're involved with the M&A world, but you're also a principal in things. Uh, today, you know, if you talk with people in business school and so forth, it seems like 90% of the classes wanna become private equity professionals. So I was fortunate enough to get a job when it was really needle in the haystack proposition coming out of business school in Northwestern here in the early 90s. And so uh, the firm I uh, joined was in uh, Milwaukee. That's where I learned the business. And then fast forward, I started another firm several years later and prior to starting Bel Air Growth Partners. So uh, it's been a really fun run. The industry's grown tremendously. I think uh, despite some of the bad rap it gets, uh, private equity plays a really important role in uh, the M&A business for sure, and even in the economy and building companies.
1: I tend to agree. And I think the reputation is actually improving over time as there is more private equity ownership uh, within our client base. you know, as an investment professional, and you fo- you're focused purely in the lower middle market, uh, you know, what are some of the general market observations that you've been seeing and trends over the last 12 months?
0: Yeah, so uh, I give you my tenure in the business a little bit, and you know a little that expression, just when you think you've seen it all. So I've been uh, fortunate or unfortunate to see um, whatever you want to call them these black swan events or unusual situations. Going back to the '87 market crash when I was in the money management world. Fast forward, there's things like the Iraq invasion of Kuwait, um, the dot com era, uh, the housing crisis, and now the pandemic that's happened, and they're they all kind of come out of nowhere that, you know, no one's expecting. And they really put a chink in what happens in the M&A world, as happened last year. You know, when uh, the pandemic hit, um, it was so fast and the, the world was trying to figure out what was coming next. So buyers and sellers were scratching their head. And pretty much what always happens is a huge drop in deal volume. Um, and as we know, the economy kind of took a swing during that period as well. As the world figured that out, um, you know, the economy came back um, and uh, this year has been a huge increase in um, in deal volume. And if you look, if you look at it historically, there's kind of a natural state of M&A volume over time. Um, You might get somewhere near that steady state or you might get, uh, you know, deals pulled pulled forward for particular reasons like tax law changes or just extraordinary times when people see a great opportunity to sell. Or we have what happened last year where uh, deals are kind of probably pushed back. Um, So this year we're seeing a a huge recovery from that. I think the volume will be at record levels. It's certainly uh, above pre-pandemic levels right now and the things we've seen. And I think there's probably a fatigue factor with uh, a variety of sellers as well. Some of us baby boomers that, uh, you know, live through some of this stuff are finally saying, I don't know how many more crises I want to live through. So I think I'm going to get out now, especially with, uh, you know- People remember
1: 08, 09. definitely 9. remember 2020, 2021. And we're still in this pandemic. Uh, how do you and Steve manage that deal flow that's coming to you? You know you're a relatively newer fund but both of you had a great reputation uh, at your prior firm so you're well known in the industry and you focus on that lower middle market where you know there are some great gems and I think you know in a robust environment where you're, you're seeing very higher, uh, much higher valuations, you might be a little bit more normal or normal to higher and some of the companies that you're you're revealing
0: yeah so um the the basic answer is steve Lozniak does all the work and i just kind of tell him what to do (laughs) um no it's you know unless you need the third steve thus we need the third steve exactly so um you no, know, it's um, you really have to pick your your battles. I mean, we could see we see a couple hundred deal opportunities a year, and it's basically because of our tenure in the industry, we've developed a lot of reputation. So there's kind of a natural deal flow, but you have, always have to be out there at conferences and so forth, stirring that up. Um, we've got a process, of course, for uh, you know generating deal flow and then identifying deals that we find as attractive opportunities. And we kind of call our market space the roll up your, your sleeve segment. Um, they're not, often they're not like nice, pretty uh, things tied up in a bow where you just say, I'm gonna pay this for this. It's like, you really have to roll up your sleeves and figure out what the opportunity is here and how you can add value and so forth. And so that's kind of the, the world that we, that we target and we, we find this fun. It's an entrepreneurial space where you can really work and get your hands uh, dirty, so to speak, working with these companies to try to try to build them. And I'm happy to chat about some of the examples of portfolio companies. Oh,
1: terrific. Yeah, we, but before we do that, um, you know, you mentioned something in your discussion here that, you know, how it is a com- more competitive environment and how is Bel Air setting itself apart from, you know, the others in this environment and how are you adding value in addition to providing the capital to
0: transact. So, I think um, you know, it's kind of picking your your uh, your battles so to speak. You have to have, you really have to have an angle to be successful in getting a deal. I think anybody can get into this business and start seeing a bunch of deals in no time, but you have to have some angle whether it's, you know, this is a segment that I know and I've done deals in, there's some real parallels with other deals I've done. Uh, often it's finding the right resources in a deal. We, right now, we're just kind of on the verge of um, of launching a search for an individual we've worked for before as a CEO to run a business. And very high caliber individual. There's a certain cross-section of businesses where someone's selling and there's no no one to take over for them. And so we have a leg up in those deals where we can bring in this individual and say, here's a guy that, you know, we think could be a good fit for this. and You know it helps with uh i'll just say the lingo and everything with business owners as well uh us financial guys can walk in the door but they tend to like to talk with the operating people so exactly yeah so those are the kind of things we see the last deal we did we had an individual that was maybe a blend of that he's what you might call an operating partner um that some firms just have kind of on staff but we brought in this individual and uh, he had run businesses very successfully, including with private equity ownership, and he became part of the ownership structure, and he's kind of there uh, on a regular basis helping the management team with things. And, you know, we were told later on that that was a big leg up for us in help- helping him win the deal. So those are the kind of angles you have to have. Some people approach it, you know, they know an industry particularly well and so forth, but we're generalists, so that's not really our uh, our direction.
1: So you're generalists, you have a size specification, uh, you're betting on proven leaders, um, what industries are you currently focused on or concentrated on here in, in 2021 as and also 2022 as we embark on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the fun things about this world is um, I'm going to see uh, new deals next week that I never even knew this industry existed. And so it's probably like you. I mean, you see all these companies where you're like, wow, somebody really does that. That's that's amazing. And it's it's a good business and it, you know, it adds as adds the economy and so forth. Um, so so we're generalists. Um, we, we look for things with similar characteristics, high margins, high cash flows, uh, hopefully some sort of leadership characteristics within the industry that they're in or niche that they're in, as, as the case is for smaller deals like ours. We pretty much stick with the B2B world. Um, we're not real big in things like consumer and that kind of thing. So so there's some common things that we look for, but every deal is a little bit different. I would say some similar things that we're, we're pretty uh, proficient at is we look for things with kind of field services. Um, I mentioned the reserve advisors deals, or deal, I should say. Um, so what what we have is about 40 engineers that uh are in eight regional offices and they go out and and inspect properties kind of every day and it takes some level of you know uh, proficiency and expertise to to do that we've had other deals we've been involved with that have very similar characteristics kind of uh kind of a field service dimension to it and often an engineering component to it as well so there's there's some real value and if you can uh, not only attract, but optimize that group of people out in the field. So those are some of the types of things. There's probably other industries where we would know um, know something about, too, that we like. Capital goods. Uh, it mentioned the thermal spray equipment mm-hmm. business. I've been in capital goods before, and if you've got a great installed base of equipment on the field and a parts revenue stream to, to follow it up, it can be a really good uh, space as well.
1: Yeah, Supplying the parts is the annuity that kind of keeps the spigot going now. Uh, You mentioned your reserve business. Uh, It's a recent addition to your portfolio. Uh, That's probably a good economic indicator. How are our condo associations uh, reserves? Are we adequately funded Um, given that costs are going up? You know, roofs are more, everything's more expensive today. Yeah. Uh, What is the insight that you're seeing within that corporation in terms of uh, the number of associations using you and the reserve requirements that may be necessary in the future for these uh, communities?
0: It's interesting, Greg. It's, uh, it was a new space to us. I'd known a little bit about it because I have some family in the property management business. Um, but um, it, w- what you learn is it's a really big space and it's growing a lot. There's there's a huge number of you know community associations, mo- mostly condos, but there's a lot of other things, do golf courses and things like that. Um, m- the majority of them are underfunded. And it's, it's basically because, you know, people don't like having their monthly dues raised. And so mm-hmm. a reserve study will help you figure out, like, um, how much you be, should be setting aside for uh, paying the regular ongoing operating costs, as well as setting aside for future repairs of the roof and pavement. Those are the big things, but uh, other things over time. And. You know, either people don't know the numbers or don't want to know the numbers. (laughs) And uh, but, you know, the the best run associations will have a reserve study done and figure out what is the right level to put in place. And you've seen, I mean, again, I don't want to keep bringing up Surfside, but that was one where we knew there was a lot of wrangling um, amongst the uh, parties there. And they just never set aside enough to deal with some of the issues that later uh, unfortunately hit them. And
1: with the current supply chain issues and uh, shortages and spikes in pricing like lumber, et Absolutely. cetera, yeah. I think it puts a little bit more pressure on these associations. So we wish you a lot of luck with that business. I think, uh, I think it's positioned for you know, the next several years, definitely. Yeah. What other things are you seeing as we approach uh, 2022 in terms of deal flow, M&A, the general M&A environment? What are your expectations as we enter into 2022?
0: Yeah, I mean, so a lot of things that probably are well known amongst um, amongst the group is uh, a tremendous amount of liquidity out there, um, not only on the, the uh, uh, kind of equity side, but also the credit side, which really drives all this valuations are as strong as they've ever been. You know, you can get some extraordinary multiples if you have the right kind of business. Um, we all know that, uh, tax or pending tax changes help to drive M&A business this year. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen still, uh, even though the weeks are, uh, coming to a close here in 2022 or 2021. um, What's interesting is I think there'll be a big overhang of deals in the next year because there's so many deals that where they, you know, started to come to market and the buyers just didn't have time to, to do things. Uh, but people are still, you know, uh, if they were interested in transacting, they'll probably still, you know, be interested in transacting going in next year. So I think the deal volume is not going to drop a huge amount. I think there'll be quite a quite a number of deals that will be um, uh, coming to market here this next year as well. So and we're
1: gonna confirm that uh, assessment as well. I think uh, a lot of people are getting tired. They survived 08, 09. They survived uh, um, sur- their business in COVID and they're still experiencing the effects of COVID. Now the supply chain, uh, um, as people are getting older, we are seeing a lot of high quality companies that we can't physically, from an investment banking standpoint, take to market right now. So we're telling clients, hey, let's start preparing for 2022. Because we're in that year-end crunch right now, where December 31st is rapidly approaching. Um, You know, speaking of such, uh, you know, from a Bel Air perspective, you know, how just for our audience perspective, how are you guys structuring deals? What do you like to see as components in the transaction structure outside of the valuation? We know that you're going to have to be competitive from a valuation perspective in terms of the overall pricing but are there any stru- uh, structure preferences that you're seeing
0: yeah i mean deals today my observation unless there's a strong reason for something like an earnout um you know, deals tend to be much more kind of all cash. I mean, I'm involved with two deals with, I'll just say previous uh, things I've been involved with where we're actually selling now. And so we've se- we've been seeing things from a seller standpoint. And if you're not all cash, you're not competitive. So that that's kind of a given. I would say for us, you know, we're fairly, fairly conventional and like to finance things conservatively. So it's the Typical, you know, level of bank, uh, bank debt in a deal, maybe mezzanine if it supports it. And then the, you plug the rest with equity from, you know, ourselves and our investors. We always invest a lot personally in our own deals. Um, and then hopefully the management team as well. Um, we One of the things that we learned a little bit. Because we did a deal right during COVID, we we won the deal right as COVID was hitting, (laughs) and then kind of biting our nails. Yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty. Yep, yep. And And here we go. We're still going. Yep, yep. And so we finally got the deal done in October. So it took a while. We 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 had a couple things, but one of the things we did is we put a bunch of cash on the balance sheet because we're like, we don't know what's going to happen here, Um, and so as it happens, the business did come back. So we were fortunate there, but we ended up having to find, this is a strange story. We ended up having to, the, the business was located i I'll just say a terrible facility. Um, we wanted a nice facility for them, you know, to achieve their, the strategies we had envisioned going forward. So we thought, Oh, we'll just find another great spot to lease. And it's like, no, we pretty much couldn't find anything. It was just crazy. And we were looking for 30,000 square feet in the Fox Valley, Wisconsin. Um, there's a lot of things like COVID that caused people to snap up all the available space very quickly. So we ended up frankly buying a building and the, the fact that we had cash and I'll just say flexibility on the balance sheet really allowed us to do that. So it's a long, a little bit of a long story of, um, having cash and, uh, liquidity available, we've gotten really sensitized to how important it can be in companies. And I think we're trying to do that more and more with, with situations getting a little bit off course here, but we're big advocates of things like scaling up and so forth. If, you, if you've if you seen that and kind of strategy for a business and one of the big uh, you know tenants there is having enough cash to deal with the unknown. Maybe it's an opportunity or maybe it's an issue that comes up. So that's just how we approach the world. Try to be conservative with our structure so you're not, you know, leveraging like crazy um, and then just have enough liquidity to achieve some of the strategies you're trying to achieve.
1: Yeah and that's a good route towards success. Uh, Any other comments uh, that you want to share with our group uh, that you appear appear to be hot or unique that you're seeing in this current market? Uh, Maybe in terms of transaction timelines, in terms of more robust due diligence. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, so I know there's probably a whole lot of things one could talk about. I think some of the things we've seen in recent times, uh, when you get these really competitive periods, it's what are the non-economic factors that can help you win the deal? And one of them's, you know, I'm, I'm willing to live with a lot of things I may not have. Otherwise, another might be like timing. I think a 60 day closing process is pretty much the standard these days. And some firms even advertise they can do it faster. So that's kind of a given. Uh, you know, virtual deals. The world has learned how to do virtual deals. So I'm I'm willing to do a deal without even meeting management or what what have you. I think COVID taught us how to do that a little bit. You know, rep and warranty insurance has been out there for a while, but it's really come down market and it's pretty affordable. One of the deals I alluded to before that we're selling is not a huge deal. Um but, uh, but the, the, even the buyer there was able to get rep and warranty insurance. So that's really come down market and is kind of out there and helps to win, win deals. Terrific.
1: Uh, well, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, this conversation was very insightful. Thank you, MBBI, the Enclave Learning and Earning Center and Studio 75 for hosting us today. The MBBI board wishes everyone a very safe and healthy holiday season this is Greg will Finn with Whitley Corporate Finance Advisors signing off for MBBI. Merry Christmas, Happy holidays and happy New Year. Thank you and enjoy the season.